Hi, I'm Chimsy. And I'm Hazel. And you are listening to a special episode of the People to People podcast. Recorded in Edinburgh in Scotland. And in Zuzu in Malawi. So this podcast is about the unique partnership between Scotland and Malawi. This episode focuses on climate and listens to a range of voices from around COP26. This was a few months ago now, but we have had various practical challenges since, not least because we're recording from two different continents. So we hope that you'll forgive the delay and enjoy this episode coming with a bit of space around it not lost in the crazy busyness that was COP26. So we wanted to take this opportunity to check in with everyone. You know, it's a new year, it's 2022, and a lot has happened since we last spoke. Timsy, you went to Malawi in November, right? I miss you. Yes, yes, I did. I did indeed. <laughs> You're not going to say you miss me. That's fine. I mean, yeah, I I, I, missed, I miss you. <laughs> I know you do, deep down. So... Malawi was red listed. How was that? Yeah, that, I mean, that wasn't great. So initially, I was meant to return on the 20th of December. And I was really excited. But I think like a week prior, they announced that Malawi and lots of other countries were on the red list, which was quite irritating and frustrating. This entire COVID thing, I'm pretty sure everyone, you know, everyone wanted to come to an end now. But now Malawi is no longer on the red list. That changed later in December, I think it was probably on the red list for about two weeks and then it changed. How did you feel like when you were stuck? Well, see, the thing is, so I was frustrated, but at the same time, I'm home. So I think it would have felt very different if I were in a different country with no one that I knew. But I also wanted the option of being able to go on the 20th, but that wasn't an option. And I wasn't willing to pay over £2,000 to stay in a hotel for 10 days. So I just waited it out. And now it's not on the red list anymore. Oh, well, I'm glad we got the opportunity to record a podcast while you're right there. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think the main thing that we wanted to share today was our interviews during COP26, because we haven't shared them yet. So during COP26, the Scotland-Malawi partnership had a big event in Edinburgh, which was live linked to the Malawian-Scotland partnership COP Hub in Malawi, which went on for a full two weeks. I was at the event in Edinburgh and Chimsey was at the event in the long way. Yeah, I was, which was an absolutely incredible experience. But, you know, I want to hear what it was like meeting the president of Malawi. I was so nervous. I just felt like this huge responsibility because he's the chairperson of the least developed countries and COP was like this really important opportunity to make sure that everybody had a voice and then I didn't feel like they really did and I wanted to ask him something important I feel really disappointed about a lot of the way that COP was handled and I also just find it really really strange that you would have these conversations that are just like oh you know what a disaster that we've got ourselves into have some canapes it wasn't just me there was a young journalist there and Susan Dalgetty who's a journalist for The Scotsman, who we spoke to on the podcast before, and she's written a book about Malawi. And so I think I'm allowed to play you the questions that they asked as well. You can hear the atmosphere in the room and you can hear the nerves in my voice. I basically haven't interviewed a president before and I didn't know what it would be like. And I even like got this smart jacket so that I <laughs> felt important enough. Loads of people piled into the room. There was a huge entourage and the first lady was there as well, which was, yeah, it was, a, I guess, an honour. 
So I think two days before you met him, I was invited to afternoon tea with the first lady. I mean, it wasn't just me and her. There were other people in the room. But, you know, even then I felt really nervous and I wasn't going to ask her any questions. She was talking about a campaign that she's currently running in Malawi. So I think that's the Shaping Our Future Foundation campaign, right? It's a campaign supporting women, especially those in rural areas. And in fact, the president mentions it. I'm pretty sure you did a great job, Hazel. Have you heard it? I have not yet. Oh, exciting. Okay, I'm going to play it to you. Here I am with His Excellency, President Lazarus Chiquera, at the Scotland-Malawi Partnership Homecoming Reception in the City Chambers. Rachel, a young journalist with the Scottish Film Foundation, asks the second question and then Susan Dalgetty. Your Excellency, it's an honour to meet you. My question is, when you spoke earlier this week at the summit, you said that the money pledged by the least developed nations should be not a donation, but a cleaning fee. So I wanted to ask, can you describe the damage that developed nations have caused in Malawi and how reparations should work? For example, when you're looking at just the most recent cyclone, you die and the devastation that followed that, and how that, well, over $400 million is required to build up just so we can be on our feet again. You will notice that in most parts of Africa and the least developed nations, they are at the receiving end of most of these climate change catastrophes but they have contributed the least in terms of carbon emissions, for example. And so what developed nations need to do is to own up and say, we recognize the problem, here's monies that we pledged, it is to clean up our environment. And so that's why I called it a cleanup fee. It's not a donation that somebody needs to have uh, or even plead for. It's to clean up our earth, our home. Thank you. Female education is an important factor in mitigating climate change. What are your plans to educate and empower the women and girls of Malawi? First Lady here, she is passionate about making sure that Girls stay in school. Those who cannot afford, we help them uh, go to school. We want to keep girls in school the longest. We changed the youth age to 18 deliberately because we don't want them getting married too early. And so our plan is to make sure that the girl child stays in school. We are having to do Sometimes even uh, things that people say, what are you doing? Because when they get married and they are underage, we go to the villages and get them out of their marriages and go and send them back to school. What COVID-19, for example, has done is to expose us and the girl child has been at the receiving end of a lot of abuse. We had too many teenage pregnancies, too many girls just getting married off 
because most homes feel like we, uh, we have such poverty levels, it's better to have them married off. And so these are some of the things we're trying to do. And our Minister of Education, a lady herself, uh, she is passionate about making sure these things work. But the Minister of Education is also concerned about infrastructure that is girl-friendly. Excellency. The Honourable Minister for Education used to work for this council here when, uh -huh. she, when she lived in Edinburgh. <laughs> that she told me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the connections with Scotland and Malawi are very deep. That's right. I have a question about, you know, the UK government has decided to cut bilateral aid to Malawi. This year, I think, is going to be halved from 52 million to 25 million. And the budget last week, our Chancellor suggested that these cuts would last for three years. Uh, what impact will that loss have on Malawi? And do you have a message for our Prime Minister about the importance of international aid? Now, I understand that this is part of the whole problem the UK government is facing and so it's not just Malawi that is um, affected but those of us who have benefited and our children have benefited from this it's it's a big it's a big uh, I don't want to use the word slap in the face but you understand and and so uh, talking with the first minister the other day, I told her I was glad at least Scotland doesn't follow what the UK follows. So maybe, you know, that's a little bit of an encouragement um, from that front. Mm -hmm. But we, we want to make sure how do we make up for that which uh, was helping some. Uh, we do need more help. But we also understand at the same time that the whole world is in a state of flux and we need to brace up for, uh, you know, what we would need to do. Our intent is still to make Malawi a self-reliant nation, a developed nation, a nation that has created more jobs and has inclusive wealth. Yep. And so maybe that is almost like what forces a 15-year-old to become a man when the parents are gone. Uh, all of a sudden you have to have the responsibility. And so that will force us, like COVID-19 has done, mm -hmm. forced so many creative, innovative uh, answers that we never thought about. And so what might appear to be uh, a problem, we want to use it to be a pathway to a solution. And so maybe our young people will now have to say, what else can we do uh, in place of this? Thank you. Zico. Zico. <laughs> I like that. So perhaps just to move on a bit from that question, um, of the known technologies that help to mitigate climate uh, impacts or prevent climate change, which do you think would increase equality the most and why? I, I think when we are talking about new technologies, new ways of getting electricity to everyone, that will also help everyone access the internet, for example. The farmers that are pretty much subsistence farmers, 
when we group them in cooperatives and they are able to produce more and of good quality, we add value to what they produce. We have agribusinesses there and we have markets prepared for, you know, or at least arranged for them to have uh, access to. That will empower everyone. And for the young people, that gives them a whole lot of uh, faith, thinking that farming is not just for subsistence. It's big business. And they will go back into doing that, knowing we are now uh, supplying what is needed to the world, but we will supply it after we have added value to it. Your Excellency, um, Malawi has been underrepresented at recent COPs. What support do you expect from countries with more resources in the next few years? We may be underrepresented, but I can assure you there's a lot of young people, some of whom you may meet even today, who are following these events. And um, we want them to know that their voice is also going to be heard and considered. And we want these that are here working on possible solutions to know that the Malawian young people's voice is being incorporated in whatever solutions are being suggested. Hello, hi, I'm Chibzi. And I'm Hazel. And you are listening to a special episode of the People to People podcast. Recorded in Edinburgh in Scotland. And in Zuzu, Malawi. What do you think, Chimsy? Was that all right? That was such an important question you asked him there, Hazel, and the way he responded was just spot on. Susan is so natural, isn't she? <laughs> I was annoyed that I didn't say Zakomo. I wish I'd thought to do that. <laughs> So after that interview, we were all invited to go through to the reception and it was probably the largest gathering that I went to all year. I mean, my expectations have massively decreased about large gatherings, but um, it was a nice room full of people who are really interesting and excited to hear the speeches. And seeing as you missed it, Chimsy, I've got some quick highlights for you. First, you'll hear David Hope-Jones, the Chief Executive of the Scotland-Malawi Partnership. We want to ensure that it is really a homecoming, and I hope the warm greeting you got as you entered this room, Your Excellency, gave some sense of the enthusiasm in Scotland and the warmth with which you are made welcome. But it's not enough for Malawi to feel welcome in Scotland. Malawi must be heard in Scotland, and Malawi must be heard at COP26. And this is Member of the Scottish Parliament, Angus Robertson, Cabinet Secretary for Constitution, External Affairs and Culture. When you met with Scotland's First Minister on Sunday, she warmly assured you of the Scottish Government's ongoing commitment to our special relationship with Malawi. And I reiterate that commitment here today to this wider audience. As we move forward together in responding to the climate emergency and to building back fairer and stronger for our people, I echo to all gathered here today your three words declared at the United Nations General Assembly as to the starting point for progress. Let's work together. Thank you very much. And of course, here is His Excellency Lazarus Chiquera. In all of these efforts, we must not forget that the voices that matter the most are not the ones that make the headlines. The voices of the rich and powerful. When it comes to climate change, the voices that matter 
most are those of the most vulnerable. To me, that means two things. It means listening to the developing nations in the global south, where the effects of climate change caused the most suffering to populations that contributed to climate change the least. That is why I've used my time at COP26 to speak on behalf of those nations. Second, it means listening to young people. Young people who will be the ones to live in the future we are fighting for today. We have felt warmly received, fiercely supported, and genuinely embraced. After the speeches in Edinburgh, there was a discussion event, which I just want to play you a clip from, where Josephine Chikwana from the Scotland-Malawi Partnership Youth Committee was speaking. What needs to be done in Malawi to make COP27 youth-inclusive? Um, yeah, that's an interesting question. Uh, I think when it comes to including the youth, we have to find them in platforms that they're really using. Uh, education is definitely um, one of the best platforms for schools, universities, that's the best place to target youth. But now we're also looking into technology aspects. So if you look at social media, including um, youth in um, tweets, Instagram channels, getting them engaged in conversations. Hopefully, um, next year in COP2027, we'll be able to see more youth engaged in um, speaking in Egypt. So, Chimsy, I have saved this really beautiful voicemail that you sent me. I love it. Have a listen. Hello, Hazel. It's Chimsy reporting live from Lulungwe. I just got into my hotel because when I got off the plane, Linda came to pick me up and I've spent the whole day with the incredible young people here in Lulungwe at the hub. Oh, my goodness. What passionate young people. Like... I, 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 don't, I don't know. It was just so, so beautiful. I wish I had this, opportunities like this when I was young. There was just never anything like this. It was just an afternoon of absolute inspiration and loved speaking to every one of them. They're just really passionate and really want to change. I think if you would have been here, I think you would have genuinely have absolutely loved it. But anyway, I hope you're well. And I may give you a call when I get home. But for now, I'm going to have a shower because I smell like death. Tell me how it was in the long way. They were able to tune into what was happening in Glasgow because obviously they, couldn't, they weren't able to travel to Glasgow. Uh, so they were able to attend some of the conferences. The thing is, it wasn't just privileged young Malawians that were there. It was people from different backgrounds. You know, there were people from the north of the country and the south, from Salima, from Rumpi, from Blanta, from Lilongwe. And it was just really nice seeing young people talk about the climate in this country. So I had the chance to speak to Mtameni Kachusa, who is the northern region coordinator for the Malawi-Scotland partnership. So our objective as MERS was to get as many young people as we could with the kind of resources that we had to participate in the COP Hub. 
okay, most of these young people couldn't travel to Scotland. So we're trying them to get the kind of experience they would have had if they had traveled to Scotland, get them engaged in the events, listen to the speeches, actually try to comment on the speeches, and um, also just to have them learn about the situation that climate change right now is in. So I spoke to Stella Masangano, who is the Chief Executive Officer of the Malawi-Scotland Partnership. COP26 is happening, both in Glasgow and here. Do you want to tell me what the atmosphere has been like here with the youth? Uh, thank you so much. Uh, here at the hub, COP hub, the youth are very excited. This hub is exposing them to uh, a number of things. First one is um, they're exposed on how international leaders speak, make promises. They've also been exposed to uh, negotiations, how experts join across the globe, join each other to negotiate with uh, big countries to make sure that uh, we meet uh, the demands on climate change. Third to that is um, we have gathered here uh, yesterday on the, uh, on the 4th, the youth had a chance to speak to the president, to present the president of Malawi, to present their views on how uh, Malawi as a country should uh, proceed as far as issues of climate change is concerned. How, how do you think that went? Uh, that went very well. We heard from the president of Malawi, Dr. Lazarus Chakwela, speaking, saying that his government will also embrace the youth, will incorporate the voices of the youth to, to ensure that um, whatever uh, activities, interventions or activities are being implemented in this country, the youth should be in the forefront because these are future leaders. Uh, the promises that have been made in Glasgow, uh, they should not be empty, but we are hoping that uh, all the promises will be fulfilled by the world leaders. Mm. Is there one promise that you think should be done? Like one that sticks with you, like, you know, we should really focus on that. The hundred billion dollars. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So I think it's time to hear from some of the young climate leaders in the hub in Lilongwe. I really enjoyed your chat with Denwa. I came so that I attend the summit visually. Specifically, I was interested in technology development and transfer and also capacity building, as well as uh, youth inclusion in uh, climate-related issues programs. Yeah. Talk to me more about the youth inclusion. It is important because we live now and we live in the near future. We don't want to play victim. Of course, we might not cause a lot of damage. We're still young. They did their part, but we don't want to play victim. We have chosen to do the action. We want to be in, in the driver's seat. We want to be there because they will leave this for us. So they're doing it for us, for the present and the future generation. I grew up on a farm. My parents are small agricultural entrepreneurs. So when I look at nature, I look at the environment. It's something I could relate to. It's something I love. So that's where the passion came from. So I want to serve it. I've seen it and I don't want it to go away. I love it. There was one year back in the days where it was very hot and our crops didn't do very well. There was some sort of drought and we didn't have this very well. There was an impact on my education because they had to source some funds on school fees and, and what have you. So, so I saw that impact, which is very bad. Where I'm coming from in, in Numpi, we're also experiencing the rivers are drying out. In this season, as I'm talking, there are some rivers which are not even flowing. So it's bad because some also use those rivers for household use of water. As it was already a problem, it's just causing another 
problem. The impact is growing and growing. Yeah. yeah. Did you watch the president's speech? Yes, I did. It was good that uh, he talked about youth inclusion. And, and I, I believe and I'm hoping and looking forward to, to hold him accountable. And what do, do you think that is actually going to be the case? It's one thing to say he wants the youth included, but do you think that will actually be implemented? I, I'll give it a benefit of, of, of my doubt. Okay. Um, I, 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 I know what happens and what has happened in the past. There have been commitments which were not uh, held up to. I, I, I just hope, I have that little hope that it's going to be different because now we're on the verge of uh, total destruction and saving ourselves. Maybe at this point we'll learn to do something important. My Agogo lives in Zimba, uh, in Madisi. How do I... I don't think she listens to the radio. She doesn't have access to a television. She's not on any social media platforms. How do I make sure that she is also part of the conversation? Uh, I think this is the time now where we use the small initiatives uh, that other uh, organizations are coming up with. So, for example, when MASK, MASK Bill, for example, is recruiting maybe the climate change young leaders, they have to make sure that the, these leaders are coming from the, the people who can represent the, the voice of the voiceless. So we're talking of people from rural areas. I am from Rumpi, for example, it's a rural area. Yeah. So that's a good job. That's where they start from. So they should take somebody from Balaka. So when, when I'm out of here, I go to my parents. I can talk to them about what we discussed here. If they're hoping or maybe they're, what their views are. So that when I get a next chance of maybe speaking to somebody who is influential, I can take their voice to them. So I, I believe we can just do small, but the small that we do matters. And it was lovely to hear you speak with Mpero. Tell me why, where your passion stems from when it comes to climate change. Um, being a victim, I just thought that I, I, I just can't stay and sit around that thing and then praying a victim. But then I, I have to do something to actually solve because this problem, is, it can be solved. It can be solved. So I know I cannot do it alone, but... Uh, joining this massive, I know with some uh, with my fellow youth, we can do a lot to help this issue. But do you think it's impacting women more? Yeah, it is. It is impacting women more because usually women are not involved in uh, issues to do with climate change. Uh, starting with uh, involvement in terms of making decisions, and yet these same women are the ones who are actually suffering because most women are the ones who are doing the subsistence agriculture, like the, the ones who are like caretakers for their families, they are the ones who go and fetch firewood, but they are the ones who, they are part and parcel of the climate change all together. If we are, we are trying to bring about solutions, we are not involving them. So there is that issue of gender inequality, gender bias in that area. How do we make sure that women are involved? Women are a part of the conversation when it comes to climate change. It's about mindset change both to the women, because some women, they have ideas, they have the potential, but then they maybe sometimes look down on themselves. So if we can change their mindset and then empower them, that you can actually do something about this. And also mindset change on the men, because some men are the ones who are like, yeah, you know, pressing down the women. So there should be that balance on, on mindset change, both to the women themselves and then to, to the men. And you also went into school? To speak to some kids? Yes, yeah, I did. I was lucky enough to go into my mom's work and spoke to some incredible children. My name is Mujib Dungi. I am 13 years old. I go to Bihar school. Today we are going to talk about climate change. 
it uh, brings droughts which uh, dry up the plants crops then uh, changes in weather pattern like some sp- some species animal species cannot survive in changes of rain pattern if all of a sudden i voted you as president what would be your first initiative into tackling climate change i would have asked uh, other rich countries to help us on climate change okay and if they say no i will have gone to complain anywhere further today the world is warmer than it's been for a thousand years but global warming doesn't only mean that our weather is getting hotter it means that it's getting harder to predict today there is more co2 in the air than there has been for more than half a million years mercy if you were all of a sudden elected president of malawi what would you do to help tackle climate change what would your first step be first i would buy public uh, buses like going to other places instead of a lot of cars in the thing country plant more trees reduce air pollution and other stuff i would help the poor and the less privileged where can we start where do you think is the first step for us as a school to help tackle climate change uh, like where they've cut down all the trees like we should plant new trees there Schools need fans in case it gets hot. Okay. For, for them to cool down because you can't write while well, you're hot. And people need to recycle beehive. Okay. But we don't have recycling centers here in Malawi, do we? Oh. So how are we going to recycle? By you by making something new using our own hands using the things we already have we in class we teach them you know we teach them to say they are all equal boys can be leaders in class girls can be leaders in class so likewise with the climate change you think as a teacher i would make sure that women are equipped with knowledge on this and then as well as children and then if they equipped with knowledge definitely they will uh, take a very positive i mean very active role in Uh, coming the this uh, problem of climate change. So like what are your reflections from your time in Malawi this time? Climate change and the negative impacts of climate change are very noticeable here in Malawi. So I remember one night it rained. It was just one night of really heavy rain. So when I arrived in the Longwe it was so dry and it was so hot. I think temperatures now are about average 30 degrees and that's in Mzuzu which is usually colder than Lilongwe and Planta and i remember when i landed i was like this is too hot and then it rained one day one day of it wasn't even a full day of heavy rains it was probably about 6 hours and you can see all the flooding that happened at Kandy it's so sad because agriculture is very important in this country and to see people's crops you know get carried away into rivers is really heartbreaking We just don't know what we've got, do we? And what that's cost for real life people right now. So I think I I I would like to try and share that in our work if we can. I have spent quite a lot of time at the lake. So every time I go to the lake and come home, I usually like my mom usually buys fish and she asked me because I went there on my own and she was like, "Oh, will you please get some fish?" 
And there weren't any fish. And that would have been the perfect opportunity to talk about climate change and fishing in Malawi, because especially for a lot of people who live along the lake shore, depend a lot on fish for income and food. At that moment, I was like, mm, I really should have brought that recorder with me. But I didn't. So I apologize. People to people, we love your responses and we rely on you to help other listeners find us. So if you've enjoyed this program, please share it with a friend, whoever they are, school student or president, everyone is welcome in this conversation. I think that's just about it from us for this episode. So you heard Dr. Lazarus Chiquera, Susan Dalgetti and Rachel from the Scottish Youth Film Foundations, Tamani Kachusas, Stella Masangana, Denwa Mpero, Njib Dungi, Mercy Peace Chikumar, their teacher, David Hope Jones, Angus Robertson, Josephine Chikwana. It was a bilateral production by me, Hazel Darwin-Clements and Chimsey Dory, and it was supported by the Scotland-Malawi Partnership. Mosquitoes keep biting me. Yeah. I hate that. (laughs) (laughs) There's no mosquitoes in Scotland. I know. I'm just trying to (laughs) sympathise. Thanks. I appreciate it.